Hi there, uh, this is Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey. Uh, before you listen to the Hurry Up, which we literally just recorded, um, and uh, Richard and I said, hey, have a good day, buddy. Hope Arkansas's coach doesn't get fired, even though we just recorded the show and he wasn't technically fired. Yeah, he just got fired. Uh, Chad Morris is out. After 20 games at Arkansas, uh, thanks in large part to the Western Kentucky mess that we will talk about on the show, I just wanted to open the show by acknowledging that, yes, Arkansas has fired Chad Morris. Um, very quickly, off the top of my head, I think it's going to be a, uh aggressive search on Arkansas's part. If you were to ask me to put money on a bet, I would bet on them trying to take one more swing at Gus Malzahn. Process that however you would like. We'll talk more about this as we go on this week, but I think Arkansas would be remiss if they didn't try Gus one last time. It can't hurt. Barring that, I think they're going to try and bring in somebody who has uh, probably more experience than than Morris did. And so I don't know if that prohibits someone like Mark, uh, Mike Norvell at Memphis uh, because essentially that's another AAC coach, albeit one with more success and more, I would say, dominance in the AAC than, than Chad Morris had. So... Uh, the future for, for Morris, I think, is he'll be a play caller somewhere. I don't think he's out or, or sort of cast away. This was just a really, really bad situation. The Morris and his staff could never, ever really get a handle on uh, and may, may or may not have made things worse. We'll find out. So, yeah, Chad Morris out at Arkansas, shocking no one. The first SEC job, maybe the only SEC job. We'll see. I wouldn't bet on it, though. Uh, he's out at Arkansas. We'll talk more about it on the coaching show this week on PAPN. Uh, for now, enjoy the hurry up. We're going to talk about LSU and Alabama and everything that happened in football yesterday. Podcast ain't played nobody post LSU. I L L I N I bowl eligible. Love you all day. Fear the beard. You're Let's gonna... go. You're just taking away from the time you actually get to talk about Illinois. LSU Bama. Let's go. Other things happened. Richard's alluding to some team of minor note in the Big Ten. Uh, let's go through the top real fast, Richard. We're gonna, we've reorganized again. By the way, again, podcast name played nobody. Uh, at Banner Society on Instagram, at Banner Society on Twitter. My name is Stephen Goffrey. That's Richard Johnson. Uh, yeah, the big thing happened. There were a couple things underneath it that happened as well. We'll talk about. I now regret to inform you, Richard, and you, the listening audience, that it makes no sense that we don't follow the arbitrary, pointless playoff rankings in which we redeliver the news to you. Uh, simply because I'm not trying to rank anything. I'm not trying to tell you guys one team is better than another. We're simply delivering sort of the top side of the news in college football. So, Dog, according... I was so annoyed last night. Everybody's mm-hmm. like, it, they lo- Alabama loses that game, and everybody's like, oh, well, and, and we're talking about Alabama's playoff implications. Like, who gives a shit? That was an incredible football game. We'll get to it in a couple weeks. We'll get to that in a second as well. All right, so we're going to start off with the real last playoff teams. We're also now including Undefeated Purgatory because, spoiler alert, they both won. We'll eat our crow in a second. Shout out, Minnesota. Ready? Let's get it. Let's go. Um, Right off the top, Alabama. 46-41, LSU wins. So Alabama and LSU, I kept them both in for obvious reasons, Richard. Uh, I know you don't really want to focus on that too much, but... They're both very, very much alive for the playoff, even though it was a great game. Is that fine? Is that okay? Well, it's it's not even that I don't want to talk about the playoff. I get it. It's it's that I I cannot stand this like everybody doing the like Machiavellian playoff scenarios right after the game's over on you know week eleven. I just think we're conditioned to it, man. I mean, <sighs> if you want to talk about it right now, Alabama is the team that survives these situations. You know, they came back. Look, the last time LSU won in, in Tuscaloosa, we know what happened. 
Alabama came all the way back, found them in New Orleans, and they never crossed the 50. These are vastly different programs now, and I'm not saying any of that's going to happen. I'm not taking anything away from LSU's win. I think this is more about just the alligator blood of of Alabama in the playoff era. Does I mean, do you really think they're out of the playoff right now? No, I, 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 my, my argument or my annoyance or whatever isn't even with whether they are in or out. It's just like I, I just don't care. You want to talk about the game. Right, like okay. I want to talk about the game and what happened. Like I just don't really care to talk about Al- like a potential LSU Georgia SEC championship game and L- what if LSU loses? Like I, I know, I know. Like Auburn, ugh, whatever. This is. Whatever. So, I, I will say this: this is uh, Alabama's ability to. I don't want to say manipulate, but survive inside the playoff system, even with one loss, as exceptionally as they have is the probably the nastiest byproduct of the playoff era, where so many of the BCS proponents kind of wagged their fingers and warned us that we would talk more about bracket positioning than we would about the games. So maybe last night is the best example of that. However, it was an amazing game, and we'll get to that in a second. Alabama and LSU, obviously still very much alive in the playoff, even though LSU defeated the TAD. Clemson beat NC State 55 Hey, Clemson 10. heard y'all talking shit. Clemson heard y'all talking shit. We can add that in real fast. Look, I saw a lot of people super, super hurt in the butt about Clemson uh, running it up with literally seconds to go. What did you expect? Grow up. It's literally, if if you have back, first of all, look, NC State is not little, this is not Western Carolina here. This is a power five ACC program. Clemson had its backups in, which was merciful. All right. I if this was a body bag game, I would have a problem with it. This yeah. is a conference game to win a division. Grow up. It's also a conference game where based on what happened with VTech and Wake Forest, there's just nothing marquee left for the ACC to offer Clemson. They've got to pull away and look as ridiculously dominant as they did for literally every second of every game uh because they're spooked now. They're spooked. Um, and, and I guess Clemson plays ball boys at the end of every blowout. Who cares if they throw? Moving on. Against against an ACC team. Speaking of a, uh, a close score, uh, Ohio State, without the best player in college football, beat Maryland 73-14. to um, <laughs> Can I ask you something as someone with a uh, legitimate interest in the professional development of Chase Young? Holler. Uh, at 73-14 to and you don't have him, like – would it have been 73 to nothing if that like like I I don't do like sabermetrics in baseball but can you literally see his absence in this score? Yeah, uh, yeah because you could probably assume um like a strip sack fumble at some point you could probably assume a sack on like a third down passing situation i, okay. I have not looked at maryland's drive chart okay. but i don't know if maryland extended a drive on a, on a long third down or something like that like that's something where you could say if chase young was in this game maybe he makes this sack and maryland doesn't even or maybe it's 80 to 7 right jesus right. wow okay moving on penn state uh, this is their first loss of the season, so they are still alive. 31-26, to 26, they lost to Minnesota. We will eat our crow in a second. Georgia, um, just when I thought we could reliably make fun of Georgia, they now posted their third shutout of the year, 27 to nothing against Missouri. That's not nothing. Uh, we are certainly sus- We're suspect of Georgia, but they are, I mean, I guess they have an identity now. Sure, it's it's not nothing. We'll get to it. Yeah. It's not nothing. Okay. They took care, they took care of business. Um, a team that needed a little defense, uh, or or could use a little bit more moving forward, rather. Oklahoma forty two to forty one winners over Iowa State, uh, and then our our friends that we are propping up with as much bias as we can throw at you guys uh, in the Pac twelve. Oregon and Utah are both on a bye. Now we include our undefeated purgatory teams. 
okay? Uh, the team that I was down on, Minnesota, beat Penn State by capitalizing on turnovers, looking really good on defense, looking really amazing at the wide receiver position, and winning a big game for the first time this year uh, in a convincing manner. Now, Baylor, on the other hand, kind of farted one out in a weird overtime affair after kicking a bunch of field goals against TCU, who's not as good as Penn State. Godfrey, uh, 20, 2014, you were at the game, right? You were at the Baylor-TCU game. If I tell that Stephen Godfrey that Baylor and TCU in five years are going to go 9-9 into overtime, like, there, there's no way. There's no way. Richard, the best thing about uh, – the best thing about Parenthood is I cannot remember. I think I was at that game, but I could not tell you for <laughs> sure. Um, yes, I do remember the game, though. Um, yeah, this is uh, – it's, it's a thing. We can't make too much fun of it, Richard, because – we tend to beat on the Big 12 for only having one particular style of football, okay? So this is another style, and they're undefeated, so what can I say? Uh, they still have some, they have some issues on offense, and somebody's going to bite them in the ass eventually. But no, I'm doing it again. I'm undercutting these two undefeated teams. It. I'm sorry. Do it. Baylor and Minnesota, you are in real-ass playoff teams on November the 10th. Congratulations. All right, moving along. The good teams that are out of it. Florida was a 59 to nothing winner against Vandy. God, they cannot run the ball. At wow, anyway. man. Uh, Wake Forest lost 36-17 to versus Virginia Tech. I kept them in the good-ass teams because that's their second loss. Yeah, until next week. Yeah. Notre Dame, yeah. Enjoy it now. Good job. I like the way you ran your program. Patience is a virtue, but adios. Uh, Notre Dame. <laughs> Notre Dame beat Duke 38-7. to uh, Scani. This is the elimination game for my good teams. My my good teams we should mention, but you're definitely out of it. Scotty beat Iowa 24-22. And then Auburn, Michigan, and them Hoosiers were on a bye. The G5 top five. This is now arranged by, because I think, again, it's more newsworthy that we discuss it this way than my personal preference. This is discussed by how they were ranked last week by the playoff committee so we can try and figure out which one of these teams is ultimately going to end up in the New Year's Six Bowl. So, it's Navy. Number one, Cincinnati, or it was the highest ranked team last week in the in the college football playoff, beat UConn 48-3. Number two, big finger quotes, guys, Memphis was on a bye. Number three, Boise State won 20-17 against a plucky, defensive-minded, Craig Bowl-led Wyoming team. Uh, SMU, uh, 59-51 winners over ECU. If it looks lackluster, well, that's just what ECU does, and that's what Tulsa does. Uh, I mean, they're literally designed to just explode on contact against good teams and then die slowly against anything else. And then uh, the Navy team that Mr. Johnson is whispering in the background about was on a bye. So will be really interesting, Richard, if you what you are alluding to is the case for one big, big reason. What's that big, big reason, Richard? I don't know. It's that, I think it's December 14th that Army and Navy play each other? Yes. Okay. So, going to be really interesting to see if perhaps, if Navy were to win the AAC, you would think that, that they oh, would have oh. it going away. But then, what, would, what kind of argument would Boise make if they didn't lose again? The other thing is, can they place Navy? Can they place, don't, don't, doesn't the playoff committee have a thing where they're like, if Navy factors into any part of this deal, we'll delay because Navy may be in it? Or is that only if they're in the, like the literal playoff? Can't remember. That Great is only, radio. so, so Army and Navy would only affect, they would only stop the selection committee if it, it had to do with the actual four. Oh, so they won't stop placing them in like the Cotton Bowl or whatever. Yes. Now people have asked me this before. And so I double checked earlier in the season, um, 
and I've now got to find it. Okay. Um, da, 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 da. This is supposed to be the short show. Um, <laughs> I checked with Scott Strassmeyer, who's the uh, yeah, I'm right. So I, I checked with Scott, who's the SID at Navy, about this, and they won't hang it up unless there's an issue specifically with like Navy being the fourth best team in the country, as mm, I okay. as I understand it. Now that probably won't happen. So rest assured it's been a very clearly identifiable year because once i I mean i in my opinion once cincinnati lost to ohio state early there was not going to be a team that was going to have a ucf type claim this year uh and so we've been able to kind of keep those guys cordoned off which i don't like but that's that's just the way it goes all right richard get ready i'm gonna clear my throat we gotta eat that crows um undefeated purgatory has ended on the hurry up Everywhere else, I will now include Baylor and Minnesota in the conversation for playoff teams. Obviously, both control their own destiny because both the are River still... Sticks has dried up. Woo! They're both still undefeated. Um, I was bullish on Baylor, who honestly now two weeks in a row looks shitty on offense, but is just finding ways to win games in increasingly strange manners. Um, between the way that they won in overtime against uh tcu and the revivalry combined with that west virginia game like i don't like any of it none of it looks sustainable but damn you keep doing it and then of course the bigger crow we got to eat here's my thing in the middle of watching that game yesterday i don't know if you saw this graphic as well but it was like kind of a cutout little animation thing that the the studio team did to make it kind of look like south park they had pj fleck in a boat yes yes him navigating (laughs) the winds and i was sitting there drinking a cup of coffee watching the game with one of my many children. And I was like, okay, okay. And they kind of rolled through the winds. And I thought, well, I don't feel bad about having serious reservations up until this point. I didn't feel bad about having serious reservations um, about Minnesota until about halfway through the second quarter when every bad thing Penn State could do seemed to happen at once, which I'm not about to go down the road of saying that it was a Penn State shot themselves in the foot game because I'll say this, Richard. Minnesota capitalized every time they had a short field and was able to build momentum off turnovers and do the things that you are supposed to do, that you have, that you are responsible for, that no one can take away from you when a better team comes into your house and starts to screw up. They capitalized. I refuse to do the, like, I refuse to do the Penn State lost this game. No, no, no. Minnesota Mm -hmm. won this football game. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Like... when you see, when you look at the box score and you see three turnovers, obviously, you know, you kind of want to write the performance off a little bit. That's not true. Like, the two turnovers were exceptional plays. Uh, but the two first interceptions, the, uh, the Winfield interceptions, the first one, Winfield played the ball better than the wide receiver. Um, the second one, he broke on the ball like a center fielder. Like, it was Dagum Ed Reed back there, Earl Thomas. Like, he played really, really well. They played really, really well. Minnesota's yeah. DBs across the board all day were exceptional. Coney Durr on the two-point conversion when Penn State has the numbers down there to run a wide receiver screen. Coney Durr takes on a tight end, sheds him, makes the tackle. Former Gator Chris Williamson, who's at Minnesota right now, um, he he had what I honestly think is the play of the game. Penn State in the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter, has, you know, the, the big old Mo and, and is looking like, oh, Penn State maybe could turn the tide here. Um, but Chris Williamson, instead of getting picked on on a rub route there, 
backs up, flips the hips, turns around, chases K.J. Hamler, and swats the ball on fourth and goal down there for a really, really good play, avoiding the traffic and making the play. Minnesota won the game. And look, if if P.J. Fleck sticks around and they take another step and they start they start reeling off these 7-1, and 8-0 starts, Big Ten contender, in a, in a near future where we're talking about Minnesota as a legitimate uh, contender to win this division year in, year out, compete for the conference year in, year out, there's a bunch of Florida and Georgia players on this team that are redshirt freshmen and soft, and true sophomores. That's how you build a program in the modern day and age. Um, Minnesota impressed. Minnesota impressed yesterday. They stepped up on a huge stage, won the game. It's even more interesting now to look at Minnesota. I mean, this is a team that they're going to go into Iowa. It's going to be a huge game, regardless of the fact that Iowa just lost. Because if they beat Iowa next week, we're setting up for Wisconsin, and it's going to be a mother of a game. Um, It's exciting. Hats off to Minnesota. Again, staring at your schedule right now. I don't feel bad about doubting you in any way, shape, or form. Well, Todd Todd Blackledge actually said this really pretty clearly. Um, Todd Blackledge was like, through the first four games, shaky. Games four through eight looked increasingly more dominant. I know Bud has the thing about facing a bunch of backup quarterbacks. Wasn't no backup quarterback yesterday. I mean, it was was the real deal. And they they played on a big stage. If uh, if Minnesota wins, if Minnesota beats Iowa, they clinch the division. Right? Yes. So Penn State, just for uh, one second, uh, home against Indiana, um, got to go to Columbus. No Chase Young. Good luck. I don't care. I don't care. Okay. Honestly, right, I don't. I, look, I know. I know. Minnesota fans are are not going to be pleased when I say this after I heaped all that praise on this game. But I went. I went over to our buddy's Dan Rubenstein's house to watch the game, and I showed up probably late in the fourth quarter with like three minutes left. And the first thing I said to Dan was, I was like. So Ohio State beats both of these teams by like two touchdowns, right? And I, you know, when Bud did the look-ahead lines, what did he say Penn State was like a 17-point underdog on the show to Ohio State in a future game on a neutral field? I thought that was surprising, and then I watched the game yesterday, and I was like, tugging my collar for the Big Ten Championship game. Yeah, um, at at this point, I don't think Penn State has a chance. incredibly frustrating year because the, because there were a lot of bad mistakes they made to put a good team in Minnesota in position to win on the road I did not think that the season would fall apart this way I definitely had my doubts against them uh, or, or sorry with them against uh, Ohio State but now you're looking at two losses at least you're gonna fall out you're gonna have a I don't know I don't know how it shakes off the top of my head you could be up I guess in the rows or something like that but for a cabal of like eight or ten teams this is what falling apart looks like yeah This is what falling apart looks like for a team like Penn State with playoff aspirations. It's similar to the conversation that we have with Georgia. I know it's harsh, and I know that that no one should ever look back and poo-poo a two-loss season. But when the margin is this fine, when when, when we're talking about a select group of teams that can legitimately win a national championship, two losses, three losses, that's falling apart. Um, speaking of falling apart, uh, it's South Carolina, Richard. Uh, I just want to talk about these three SEC schools very quickly for three very different reasons. Um, South Carolina <clears throat> lost to App. Take away the take away the Georgia game for a second, in which I will say Georgia lost that game in every way, shape, and form, and that South Carolina didn't win it so much as Georgia lost it. This is a really bad season for South Carolina. 
they're going to go four and eight. This is a really, really bad season for South Carolina. Um, I'm curious how long the the, uh, the faith holds in Will Muschamp because I think as we get further and further away from that Georgia game, less and less credit is ascribed to he and his coaching staff and, and his players and everything else. And more of it was about Georgia failing to adjust on offense and, I mean, just diversify on offense, I think. Um, and they had a receiver out, which has sort of become the narrative now. This is a bad, bad season for South Carolina. I'm not saying that they enter into the coaching silly season just yet because there's a pretty healthy buyout associated with Muschamp. I just look at this program and I kind of, I don't know what to do with it. I, I don't know. Like they went after a guy who they believed they would, they could support in a way Florida that couldn't in the same division with shittier circumstances. And now Clemson is Clemson. We discussed that, right? Um, Georgia's Georgia, Florida's Florida is ascending relative to the mess that Muschamp helped create there. Tennessee's not awful. Missouri's not awful. Tennessee's like annoyingly plucky. I don't. I don't know. I we, we've been talking about it. We I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna derail us in Tennessee at Tennessee, but they won the game against Kentucky yesterday. Yeah. They're probably going to a bowl game because I cannot imagine if they lose to Vanderbilt. I, I they're not gonna lose to Vanderbilt. South Carolina, where where many people look for a door, Jeremy Pruitt just headbutts drywall until he can fit most <laughs> of his torso in it. South Car- this this South Carolina team, I, I, you can't blame a loss to Appalachian. I, I understand Appalachian State's eight and one, but you can't blame a loss to Appalachian State on injuries if you're if you're the South Carolina that Will mm-hmm. Muschamp hopes to someday build. Um, Arkansas, I'll say this real fast before we talk about Georgia. Yeah, they did exactly what we said was going to happen for like a <laughs> month on this show. Uh, this is why you subscribe for them takes, uh, other than the Minnesota thing. Five possessions, in, first five possessions in a row, Western Kentucky scores touchdown. Jesus. Um, I got text messages from, from coaches, agents, uh, various administrative people with various titles last night where like, I w- had watched LSU Bama and then kind of just like petered out. I think it felt like everybody did that last night where you're just kind of checking in on a couple games. That's why that OU <laughs> I was final so was... tired. I yeah. was exhausted after the LSU Alabama game. Many, many people all this morning were like, oh, you did what now? Um, but I would like periodically come back to my phone and I would be like, I would get a, like a cluster of text messages and be like, oh, they just fired him. And I would like, then I would check and like, no, okay, they have not officially fired him. While we're recording, please check Twitter. While we're recording this, ten thirty Eastern Time Sunday morning, have they fired him? They have not fired him right now because I, I, I trust I trust the little minions that I deal with would text me immediately. But so right now, no, none. Which is now I will say this: by the time this show goes up, okay, it would not shock me if Chad Morris was fired. And if he is, we'll get on. We probably won't do an emergency pod for that because I definitely think that's a little bit more expected than Willie Taggart. Um, but we will roll that into this week's coaching show and all that stuff. And we will Yeah, considering that, by so. the time we put up last week's coaching show, USC had hired the athletic director that we said they might not. Well, that's okay, though, because there were so many conflicting reports on that. We covered our bases. And again, we're not we're not coming out here and making bets on this stuff. And we're also trying to give you guys basically perspective insight. And then I, you know, I add a little bit of reporting and so does Richard. And, and I, you know, I'll get a little meta for a second. I think our PAPN audience is totally fine with that because we try and move with the speed of the news. So we're good, buddy. Don't worry about that. Minnesota, we weren't good on. I still can't believe it. I still can't believe it. 
All right, anyway, uh, let's move on to Georgia. Tell me, shutout is like a big deal, less of a deal, won't matter because LSU's going to beat him to death or what? <laughs> um, No, Georgia Georgia did what they were supposed to do. They uh, they refused to look convi- they refused to look convincing against a bad team. Like at, for as convincing as they were in the cocktail party in that win, they were like equally as I don't know uninspiring. I don't, I don't know what it is against a team that they can just sit on. And, and I guess that's just what it is. If Dude, they they've been doing it, that all year, man. I saw them open against uh, Vandy. They weren't convincing. They weren't they, convincing against Notre Dame when they had no. a chance to be. And they just kind of sit on you. They just kind of sit on you. And look, minority coordinator of the week verdict. I, I think Missouri acquitted themselves fairly well on defense. Um, you hold it, uh, Georgia to three field goal drives, including one of which, st- or excuse me, four full field goals in total, three of which got into the red zone, one of which started at the 13-yard line. Um, Missouri's defense limited Georgia to five yards per play, 4.7 yards per carry sack adjusted. That ain't great, but like Missouri's defense, I think, could have let a better Missouri offense kind of hang around in that game. Missouri's offense just does not have a pulse without Kelly Bryant. They just don't. Um, Georgia, it's pretty simple. Lawrence Cager. They go as Lawrence Cager goes. He, I doubt he's going to be 100% against Auburn. He re-aggravated that shoulder injury. I don't know if he's still dealing with the rib thing. Um, obviously, we, we saw he played against Florida. He played well against last night. Again, last night. Pickens had a nice touchdown catch. And he had two touchdowns in that game. Um, Georgia sat on the game, won the game, took care of business. Auburn's a different story. Okay, round up real fast. Um, all right, I asked you before we started the show what happened with Oklahoma. You have an idea? Kind of. I mean, Oklahoma got what we said on the tasting menu, that Oklahoma was going to get pretty much what they want in the running game because of their running scheme. In the first half, they basically did. Um, I I paid close attention to this through the first half and then was kind of like, like the rest of Oklahoma fans. Oh, Oklahoma's probably going to run away with this. Um, I'm just going to keep an eye on it. And I was working on other stuff. The whole time, I did not ever think Oklahoma was going to lose that game, obviously, until the very end. But for the bulk of the second half, I was like, okay, Oklahoma's not going to lose this game. It's a question of margin. It's a question of covering the spread. It's a question of when or if Oklahoma can really run away from these guys and do a 21-point win. And they just never really did. And Iowa State just kept hanging around. And then, obviously, Iowa State gave themselves a chance to win the game at the very end. Um... Brock Hewitt was really good with the clicker in that game, showing that there was a tight end open on the two-point conversion that will probably haunt Iowa State for uh, for weeks to come. Yeah, uh, Oklahoma, if if they let Baylor be squirrely and pesky next week, they will lose. You have 90 seconds to sing about Illinois. Ready? Go. Illinois, baby, down 28 to 3 with the weight of the world upon them, with adjusted expectations all over the place. Nobody gave them a shot. Not even the most vestedly interested of us at plus 14 and a half. And then they pulled off the greatest comeback in the history of the program. Nay, the Big Ten intersectional matchup. Nay, college football. Nay, perhaps organized football history in general. One minute. 
Fear the beard. Only Lovey Smith, a true defensive mastermind, can scheme up not one, but two tip drill picks late in the first half. Your fave defensive coordinator could never. The entire game, Illinois said, you know what? We're going to adjust the difficulty level, and we are going to prove that we can. Brian Lewerke fumbles to set him up in the red zone. That's fine. Brandon Peters is going to throw up a pick, and we're going to win anyway. Pick six to tie the game. We're going to miss the extra point. We're going to win anyway. Fourth and 16. 50-50 ball to Joshi Matarbebe, who, by the way, one touchdown shy of tying the single-season Illinois receiving record. We're going to catch that. We're going to come down with it. We're going to drive to the doorstep of of bowl immortality. We're going to fumble the snap and lose three yards on the one-yard line. We're going to have a fourth and goal that Michigan State is going to get a a pass interference on, a great piece of refereeing on. We're going to take two more shots, knock it on the door. We're going to finally kick the door down for a touchdown. No timeout to the red zone. It doesn't matter. The clock is winding down, and we're going to win, and we are going to go to probably the Pinstripe Bowl. I-L-L. I-N-I. If I, um, if you listen to this podcast in 4K, you can hear me roll my eyes. Uh, all right. <laughs> you don't want to talk about this, but I'm going to, I'm going to start here. And I'm going to be the guy that I hate. That last touchdown pass by Alabama put him back in the playoff, damn it. <laughs> oh my God. I watched this game, Richard. Um, uh, I was home this weekend. I decided to watch this game, uh, in I wanted to watch this game where I could watch every single play develop. I got invited to a big LSU watch party by the Alumni Association here in in Nashville. I instead went to a neighbor friend of mine's home. He is a graduate of Alabama. His wife is a graduate of Clemson. I've mentioned them on the show before because, my God. um, Your children went full LSU. Oh, yeah, no. My kids went down to the watch party and ran around and stuff. But I wanted to watch the game where I could watch. Lack of institutional control in the Godfrey household. Hey, man. For uh, what is it? Live purple, love. I don't. I don't know. Whatever. It's an infection. It's <laughs> called Louisiana. It's like the worst case of MRSA in the world. Um, I wanted to watch the game in silence with an Alabama fan who was legitimately worried, as he should have been. Uh, it was very, very interesting to watch the game with a rational, educated Alabama fan who's a graduate, my buddy Cochran, because he uh. They just don't get to a nervous level, as you can imagine. I mean, think about everything that Alabama fans have seen the last decade, right? There was legitimate concern going in. They knew the problems going in. They identified it going in. About halfway through the third, when it broke open, we both acknowledged that Alabama would come back in some way, shape, or form to close the gap. And then in doing so, would keep themselves in the playoff conversation. That's a concession move. That's like going down the stretch in baseball and saying, like, well, at least we'll get the wild card. Everything that you're complaining about, I agree with. Um, however, it does not take away from the reality that, that that's probably going to happen. I am sitting here in my head thinking about this Georgia defense we're discussing, maybe having enough <clears throat> luck creating turnovers and beating LSU in an upset in Atlanta. Where does that put LSU? Where does that put Bama? God, that's going to be dumb. It, it, would be, it would be insane to think about. Um, okay. The actual football game, other than the fact that I'm fixated on that last touchdown pass because LSU came out in press and they ripped it down the side. You you noticed it, and then uh, and then we noticed it as I was watching it live. Very similar to the end of the Georgia game, the national title. Um, okay, other than that, which makes a very deceptive-looking box score. I will say this, Richard. This was not a overly dominant performance by LSU when you look at numbers and stats and drives and stuff like that. I, I think Alabama, like LSU did what 
basically only like Clemson and Ohio State have done to Alabama in the last few years okay. on a big stage, which is Alabama takes your punch. When you're a good team, you punch. Alabama takes your punch. Alabama counterpunches. And then unlike like Georgia in the SEC championship game last year, um, but what Georgia was able to do in the national championship game until overtime, LSU counterpunched again. They had another gear. They could keep Alabama a little bit at arm's length. I personally think LSU won the game at the end of the first half when they stole a possession. Um, LSU LSU scores on that eight-play, 60-yard drive. Then in a sub-package set, they pick Tua. Um, I have some questions about this for our LSU audience. Somebody let me know. On the Patrick Queen interception – what is the what is the uh, the sub package that LSU's in, and what's the coverage? I know that LSU Dave Aranda runs some Mustang and some Cheetah, which is basically get as much speed on the field and as few down linemen as possible. Um, okay. And and LSU does a lot of pattern matching behind it. I think what LSU was doing on that play was pattern matching to get that interception. But please let me know in my mentions. What is pattern matching? Explain. Uh, pattern matching is uh, in in the simplest terms. Pattern matching is zone that looks like man and man that looks like zone it's okay. it's when you come in my zone i'm gonna read your route as a defender and i'm gonna go with you or if you cross my zone i'm gonna pass you off to the next guy that's that's pretty much the simplest way okay and what is a sub package so people know a sub package is uh, um like dime where the where the defense takes a linebacker or a defensive lineman off the field and subs a nickel or a dime defender or another linebacker go. or a speed rusher um, that that's a sub package. Um, so LSU gets that interception. Bama has the penalty, and then LSU absolutely puts the foot on the gas and scores on that play with an NFL passing concept. Uh, the homie Chris Brown was in my mention saying that's like a Mike Holmgren staple from back in the day. But oh, is that when they did ca- the stack? No, that was late. That was later in the game because that Danielson was, was going nuts. They they kept running that stack play, and the third guy out of the stack was catching it. What I'm what I'm talking about is they run. Elaire catches the touchdown at the end of the first half. That is basically HB sale, which is like an out route, a skinny post uh, by the receiver, an out route by one of the receivers, and then you sneak the running back out of the backfield, and he runs a corner route, and and he was just open. It looked like Alabama might have been double covering chase on the post route and they just forgot about Alaire and Alaire sneaks out but that is that is the modern contemporary LSU that we've been seeing all year they're going to attack with an NFL passing concept that actually was revitalized by your boy Kyle Shanahan but is all over the NFL um that's that's LSU they're going to attack they're going to play good enough defense attack on offense they've got a quarterback that is so good Moving around in the pocket. That that is what I continually be to be so impressed with Joe Burrow about week in, week out. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I think uh where I think LSU won the game. Uh not Alabama level uh open field tackling. A lot of lot of a uh, lot a lot of poor open field tackling really. Not I mean not LSU level open field tackling either. But at, like it's, it's okay. Well, actually, that. then stop there for a second. Is that is that uh, less a problem of the defense and more a compliment to these these two offenses? Yeah, I mean it's just different than nine six. The game was not played in a phone booth. The game was played in space. 
Okay. So, and you, so what you're saying is when you deal with these offenses, you're just going to see poorer open field tackling because of uh, leverage and space and angles, right? Yeah. I Like, I think Nick, if you gave him truth serum, serum knows the game. Like, you cannot really python these offenses. The, these offenses that are operating at an insanely high clip, an insanely high level, you, you can't really do that. Um, you cannot fully stop. You can only hope to contain. I mean, the game ended in the 40s. Like, what about um? What about using Najee Harris on the ground to basically stage a comeback? Did you see that coming? God, because I was, he is incredible. I, I was shocked. And also, that's a big dude who runs who runs tall, but can also get down and do like third down scat back stuff. Because I guess he's so damn fast. That guy, uh, Najee Harris, is he is this blend of speed, power, and fluidity that is so – I, I he's breathtaking. He's, he's really amazing, breathtaking. Dude. He's really and, good. And as good as he was doing that, Alaire separately, on the other hand, is good doing the thing that LSU running backs have not been – I mean, God love Leonard Fournette, go Jaguars, but he was never able to, to physical – he was never able to physical Alabama. He was never able to, to assert himself against Alabama. Clyde Edwards-Alaire asserted himself yesterday. I mean, there's no, there's no two ways about it. Um, I only saw two horrifically shitty screen calls on third down from Sark, so I guess he's improving. Uh, LSU had those dead. Ter- I mean, there was one where, I, where I think it was Chase on, um, had like was playing the force, so playing contain, playing the edge, um, was playing the force and like made the tackle like through a block. I mean, it's still high level football. It's just different. It's just different than nine six. I still have colleague. I still have colleagues of ours in the NFL media who think that my fan bias was informing me that Sark is actually a good play caller. And then last night I saw. There's one distinctly I remember of a third down screen call that LSU absolutely punked them on. Well, you have Sark, to give- Sark is good for at least one one giant fuck barf on yourself call uh, in third and long. At least one. But you've got to give Sark a lot of credit in the second half for switching up and just saying, "Hey, we're gonna ride." Najee we're gonna ride Najee to the promised land and they they damn near did no it's absolutely the right move I I was also really I mean shout out to Tua it was Joe Burrow's game and he was amazing but Tua when Tua was throwing from the pocket and had a clean pocket dude's as good as anybody he was driving his he was driving throws and I think that that was because the it's the right leg right it was the right leg which because he's left-handed is the leg that can he that I was like can he actually drive into throws? Well, and it was funny you say that because one of the things that I noticed last night was he was really sort of he was putting a lot of force into the throws downfield, noticeably so when he would step up in the pocket. I thought he was fine. And look, whether he got a visit from Doctor Tordal before the game or not, he was healthy enough. I did not. Th- I mean. The the fumble. I mean, he's walking into the end zone in the first quarter, and he fumbles inexplicably, which is something that I think everybody forgot. I mean, that's that's another way where it's like, oh, well, if they had that touchdown, it's a totally different game, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that his leg, because medical science is insane, uh, was fine. Now, when he wakes up this morning, it's probably a different story, and they play, who they play next? Uh, I don't think they need him. I believe they play... Uh... Mississippi State? Yeah, I don't think they need him to the Iron Bowl. But, uh, you know, Tua played well. And and Tua played healthy. And I, I, my biggest kind of, I did not know if, 
was 70% of Tua better than Mac Jones? Like, what was the, you know, what? but he was at much higher than I think 70%. I think it was. He was much higher than 70%. Um, it was an amazing game. It was it was everything great about high level college football. I enjoyed watching it, um, regardless of the outcome. If this is the modern LSU Alabama, give me good, this. right? It's fun. Give me this. this is good. I yeah. I enjoyed nine six for what it was. Yeah, but local local Florida graduate enjoys watching touchdowns. If, but if this is the modern LSU Alabama, I'll take this every year, baby. Yeah. Um. So because it was a great college football game that should stand on its own merits, I started this conversation talking about the the the, the fuckery of the playoff and and how Alabama can still manipulate it. Let me close by asking you one question. Since we've gone way over, by the way, on time, what dumb context will NFL media put Joe Burrow's uh, athleticism into come April? Well, he's white, so I think we know the answer to that question. No, I was serious though. Is is this just going to be a? Is it going to be quote a surprising uh, amount of mobility? Someone is going to say that sentence in April. Oh, of course. Uh, you can't. He ran a fucking quarterback draw to seal the game at one point. Yeah, that and that that I Gary called that a zone read. I don't think it's a zone read because they've got a, a wing or a tight end LSU has who chips that edge defender. Now whether that's just because that edge so defender it's a, crashed, it's a design draw, right? Yeah, I thought it was a design draw. Okay, Whether that's – yeah, I thought it was a design draw. My point is, at the at the biggest stage of the biggest game of the college football year – Third and two. The kid is probably going to win the Heisman, was called upon to run, and did so exceptionally as that game closed out. And somewhere – not somewhere, as if it's going to be hard to find – there will be a dominant narrative come April about this man's surprising athleticism. I guarantee it. Yeah, I, he he's an absolutely incredible football player, and I am I'm happy for LSU folks who, after so 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 so, so very long, get to watch this sort of football. It, it's really funny to me when when teams, having been somebody who is literally weaned on offense, it's funny to me when teams get to see firework offense from their own team. Like when Urban first got there and Ohio State's out of the trestle ball and playing like this, you know, offense, when they're playing offense, when Alabama of all teams inserts Tua and you're like, or, uh, you know, even even back with um, with Blake Sims when they're scoring all these points you know, and you're like, holy hell, where did this come from? When when offense becomes infused into the product, it is more attractive or maybe more palatable, I should say, yeah. um, and just more fun to watch. Like I love 9-6 to death. But that was work watching that. Uh, one of Nick Saban's favorite, favorite isms, Richard, is you never waste a loss. The, the the thing I can't tell yet is I don't know if this is going to be as noticeable and marked an adjustment as like the Texas A&M and Ole Miss losses were a couple years ago. Because that, combined with Lane Kiffin, and really, again, I talk about this all the time because I was at that game. It's one of the best college football games I've ever seen. The semi against Ohio State where they were running the offense through Amari Cooper. That changed Alabama. I don't know if this game is necessarily needs to change Alabama because I think they were on the right path. You know, when when Johnny Manziel and Chad Kelly and Bo Wallace were doing what they were doing with the zone read and, and just quarterback mobility, that was an Alabama that was so big at linebacker and so stodgy. It was a different type of defense complementing a completely different type of offense. And I know, like, Kiffin's sort of a punchline right now, and maybe deservedly so. Wow, they beat the hell out of FIU yesterday. Congrats. Um, but Kiffin's fearlessness and adherence to looking at offense in a different way, I think it forever changed Alabama. And maybe it was 
the writing on the wall, but also the combination of Kiffin not being afraid of Saban in the way I think other assistants have been. I don't know if if yesterday's loss is going to change Alabama or if they need I, to be changed. I doubt it. I think they're like again, we're talking about Alabama on the margins, we're talking about LSU on the, on the margins, but we're going to have this conversation because this is the rarefied air the program is in. Yeah. Alabama needs some better guys up front, which is just insane to say, I know. But against 11 teams, it's fine. Against teams 12, 13 and 14, that's where the margin comes into play in the SEC championship game, in the playoff. And you saw that for as good as LSU was through the air, when they needed to get it on the ground, they got it. And LSU hasn't done that in a decade against Alabama. Uh, last thing I'm going to say, I swear to God, um, if I if I encounter anyone in, in the real world who's an Alabama fan who has some sort of issue with what Ed Orgeron said in his own locker room after the game, after the years, after the decade plus that we've been dealing with Alabama fans at a at a toxically nauseating level. Alabama fans win a game and chant, we just beat the hell out of you. So Right. So I will literally wear a pair of gloves like an old-timey movie, take them off, and slap you across the face with them. That's as polite as... Normally I just say I'll punch you in the stomach. But the, the, the hurt butt from Alabama over what Ed Orgeron said after the game? Jesus. Probably should have won the game. It's always the most successful. It's always the most successful programs that have the thinnest skinned fan bases. That that I have learned over the years for sure. Richard Johnson, I'll see you this week on the Tasting Menu.